Welcome to Unchained, the radio program which addresses the challenges facing Christians today with short, pithy presentations, presenting a vigorous defense for Christianity's claim that the Holy Bible is God's inspired word. This series deconstructs the arguments of evolutionists, anti-theists, atheists, and other enemies of the Holy Bible. Here is your host, Pastor Rod Anderson. Hi, I'm Rod Anderson. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an atheist who can entertain an audience. Guaranteeing that some percentage of us will choke to death every year, okay? Imagine if you had a separate hole for breathing and eating and talking. That would be just really cool, right? (laughs) You could drink, breathe, and just talk, and you would never choke, all right? Oh, yes, he certainly entertains people. He also challenges people, and I'm glad to say he challenges Christians as well. For example... What he did was invoke... He didn't invoke Zeus to account for the rock that he's standing on or the air he's breathing. It was this point of mystery, and in gets invoked God. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If, if that's how you... If that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. If that's how you're going to invoke God, if God is the mystery of the universe, these mysteries, we're we're tackling these mysteries one by one. If you're going to stay religious at the end of the conversation, God has to be more to you than just where science has yet to tread. So to the person who says, maybe dark matter is God, if the only reason why you're saying it's because it's a mystery, then get ready to have that undone. He's right, and I applaud him in exposing the shallowness and the credulity of many Christians whose sweeping generalizations make thinking men and women everywhere cringe. But God has given each one of us a brain, and he expects us to use it, that we would read and study the Bible, not as children, but as mature adults. True Christianity is a logical person's religion. It is a reasonable faith. It answers the longings of the human heart, while at the same time it can be defined scrutinized and cross-examined with the rigor using all the breadth and depth and the height of the human intellect because it is a thinking man's religion. Men, such as Neil deGrasse Tyson, while happy to challenge Christians, even make them the butt of his jokes, also intentionally misrepresent and ridicule the Bible. My favorite way to end this, then, is to just reflect on... Uh, I want to do it just a fast tirade on stupid design and... Uh, this will be fast. Uh, look at all the things that just want to kill us, okay? Uh, most planet orbits are unstable. Uh, star formation is completely inefficient. Most places in the universe will kill life instantly. Instantly. The people that say, oh, the forces of nature are just right for life. Excuse me. <laughs> just look at the volume of the universe where you can't live. You will die instantly. That is not, that's, not, that's not what I call the Garden of Eden. Uh, furthermore, Neil deGrasse Tyson from the public platform and in interviews read, ridicules the Bible and has attacked the writer of the book of Revelation, John, on his understanding of what a sun and star is. And pursuant to that, uh, deGrasse labels the writers of the Bible as ignorant and the Bible primitive and in so doing castigates the very idea that a supreme being such as God could have anything to do with that at all, even if he did exist. Here is 
one interview in which Neil deGrasse Tyson again refers to the stars and the sun spoken of in the book of Revelation. You read, say, the Bible, the Old Testament, which in Genesis is an account of nature. That's, that's what that is. And I said to you, give me your description of the natural world based only on this. You would say the world was created in six days and that stars are just little points of light, much lesser than the sun. And in fact, they can fall out of the sky, right? Because that's what happens during, during the um, revelation. One of the signs that yeah. the second coming is that the stars will fall out of the sky and land on earth. To even write that means you don't know what those things are. You have no concept of what the actual universe is. So everybody who tried to make proclamations about the physical universe based on Bible passages got the wrong answer. Before I respond to these comments by Neil deGrasse Tyson, we as Christians uh, need to remind ourselves that the Bible is not just a novel. And as such, we must exert all of our mental capacities as we grapple with passages that challenge us through, through thorough biblical exegesis. And this means we must compare Scripture with Scripture. We must examine the historical context. We must ask ourselves who was the writer and what was the setting. We must ask ourselves these questions and more and make sure that our conclusions are consistent with the rest of the Bible. And at times, we must go to the original languages of the Bible. This is the case for the book of Revelation, which was first written in Greek by the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in 95 AD during the reign of Emperor Domitian. Today, when we talk of our sun and the stars throughout the vast universe, we're talking about gaseous masses made up of about 98% hydrogen and helium, which are at the centres of individual solar systems, except in the cases of binary stars. In other words, we use the two words sun and star to describe the one thing, suns. The term heliocentric, which comes from the Greek and is used to describe a solar system like ours in which the sun is a luminary centre and the planets revolve around it in elliptical orbits. Furthermore, we know that those pinpricks of light in the evening sky, if not a planet within our own solar system, are in fact suns of distant solar systems, turning now to the Greek version of the New Testament. And the Greek word for sun and stars, as in, as in found in the book of Revelation, are entirely two different words as they are in the English. But for us, the two words, sun and stars, mean exactly the same thing. But in the Bible, they refer to two entirely different celestial bodies. But before I continue, I want to explain the difference. I want us to be clear on our definitions, because there may be some basic definitions that we're just not aware of. And I want to ask you the question, what is the difference between a meteor, a meteorite, a comet and an asteroid? First, what is a meteor? Well, a meteor is a small body of matter from outer space that enters the Earth's atmosphere, becoming incandescent as a result of friction and appearing as a streak of light in the sky. But a meteorite is a piece of rock or metal that is, has fallen to the Earth's surface, breaking through our atmosphere from outer space as a meteor. Now, as we define the last two celestial bodies, comets and asteroids, I want you to notice one of the main differences between the meteors or meteorites that enter our solar system from outer space 
Comets and asteroids both orbit our sun. What did I say? Comets and asteroids both orbit our sun. So what is a comet? What is an asteroid? A comet is an object that orbits the sun with a nucleus of a solid core of frozen water, frozen gases and dust. But an asteroid is a small rock uh, body orbiting the sun. Large numbers of these ranging enormously in size are found between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter, though some have more eccentric orbits. Now, we have those definitions in our mind. Let's go back to the Greek. Now, I hope I haven't hurried along too quickly for you. Remember, you can just rewind, go back over this material, as you can do with any of my presentations. But let's go back now to the word for sun and star as it is found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 13, and the meaning which were lampooned by Neil deGrasse Tyson. The Greek word for sun is helios. And as I said earlier, our word sun and our definition of our solar system as being heliocentric comes from the Greek word helios. The Greek word for star is also found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 13, aster. And it is where we get our word star from. However, it is connected with the word asteroides, which is where we get our word asteroid from. The word aster could well be the word that John used for asteroid. Remember this, Greek is John's second language. He was an uneducated Galilean fisherman whose first language was Aramaic. And like anyone who at times needs the use of a second language, their grammar and their uh, definitions are not always idiomatic. So John, struggling to find the exact word for asteroid and using his limited Greek vocabulary, uses the word aster, not asteroides, to describe what he saw in vision. Now, what Revelation 6.13 startlingly prophesies, along with other eschatological chapters of the Bible, is this, that there will be signs and wonders in the heavens, and the natural order of things will be turned upside down. Therefore, it should not surprise us that even asteroids will fall to the earth, being freed of the gravitational laws of motion prior to the second coming of Christ. Now, Neil deGrasse Tyson wants to poke fun at the Bible and ridicule those who see evidence and reason for supporting their belief in God. But whenever an open mind investigates the, the Bible closely, they will say, as Isaac Newton said, he who thinks half-heartedly will not believe in God, but he who really thinks has to believe in God. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Perfect sense. And if you go to YouTube, you can type, a, type in my name and a presentation that I gave called The Seven Signs of Christ's Return, which will talk more on this very important subject. Furthermore, I want to give you a marvelous set of Bible reading guides called The Orchard Faith of Jesus Studies. Each of these 25 reading guides will build your knowledge of the Bible in a very short time. And all you have to do to receive them is send me an email with your name, post address and phone number two info at theorchardmelbourne.org.au that is info at theorchardmelbourne.org.au or go to our website theorchardmelbourne.org.au and go to the tab mark contact us follow the prompts and we will mail them out to you wherever you live in the world well our time has run out for now and it happens all too quickly but remember this the truth has nothing to fear from investigation i'm rod anderson goodbye for now You have been listening to Unchained. 
We look forward to your company here next time on 3ABN Australia Radio as we continue this series with Pastor Rod Anderson. We hope you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. 30 years after the death of Wycliffe, at the Council of Constance in Germany, he was declared to be a heretic. A decree was made to dig up his bones and burn them to ashes. At that time, the Bishop of Lincoln was a former friend of his and he delayed in acting on this request for five years. He moved out the area and the next one who came in also vacillated for eight years before finally succumbing to this demand and dug up the bones and burned them. After burning his bones, they threw the ashes into the River Swift. But the significance of this gruesome act and the symbolism it would come to later represent, they could not have imagined. The River Swift flows into the River Avon. The River Avon flows into the Bristol Channel. And the Bristol Channel eventually flows into the Atlantic Ocean. And so symbolically, the effect of his work spread around the whole world. He is called the morning star of the Reformation because he was the beginning in a chain of events that once started became unstoppable. John Wycliffe gave to the Christian church perhaps the greatest gift possible, the Bible. And once given, the light would begin to shine and the darkness would be peeled away. John Wycliffe's work is key in our Christian heritage, for at the center of our faith is the Bible. Never underestimate the extent of the work that you do. John Wycliffe was called here to Lutterworth, a small, quiet country town, or probably back then, just a village. If any of us were called here to this town today, we might think it's not good enough, or not big enough, or not prestigious enough but he faithfully did the work that God had called him to do and gave to the Christian church perhaps the greatest gift possible. Wherever you are, use the gifts and the talents that God has given you, for you never know how far your influence may spread. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.